What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another live stream. My name is Ansel Lindner, and this is Bitcoin and Markets. Today is Monday, my my typical newsletter day. Last week was, uh, I had to slide it till Tuesday, but uh, I've been writing it this morning. So we're going to go over some of the things that uh, I found so far today and that I've included in the newsletter, as well as some macro charts and some news stories. So I will open it up as always at the end for any comments or topics or things that you guys want to bring up. If you want to support the show for people listening on Twitter spaces or on the podcast feed, check out bitcoinandmarkets.com. All right, let's get into the report. Anyway, of course, this week is dominated by the FTX contagion still. Uh, it has now spilled over to Silvergate, which is a large settlement uh, banking service that serves most of the exchanges in the space, as well as many other companies in Bitcoin, in the broader Bitcoin space, I guess you could call it. Uh, a lot of the shitcoin side of the house or shit token side of the house. But it looks like they're having some trouble. And I've talked about this last week. In these live streams, Dylan LeClaire's nice uh, thread that he's been doing on that. It also looks like the next shoe to drop could be Genesis. And I was not familiar with Genesis, but apparently it's a it's a firm within the space that is owned by the digital currency group, DCG, that also owns Grayscale and owns Coindesk and several other things, uh, ventures in the space. And this Genesis was their lending arm. Now it looks like it's having big, big trouble. Um, maybe up to $10 billion in unperforming loans. We'll see. And that, then they tried to tie Grayscale into these rumors uh, with Grayscale being quote-unquote insolvent somehow. But of course, Grayscale is all of these different trusts that are set up. I believe they're pretty much all independent and they all hold their tokens in um, you know, like a registered custodian account. In, in this case for Bitcoin, it's with Coinbase. And probably for all of its uh, all of its trusts that it has, it holds them at Coinbase. Uh, I don't know why that there would be this big fud about the Bitcoin trust in particular, because like if you read some of these trusts that they have, I mean they have um, Bcash, Chainlink, Decentraland Trust, Ethereum Classic, Ethereum Filecoin, Horizon, Litecoin. Live Peer Trust, Solana, Stellar Lumen Trust, Zcash, Decentral Finance Fund, Digital Large Cap Fund, Smart Contract Platform X Ethereum Fund. So they have a lot of these different funds that are all obviously ship tokens except for the Bitcoin Trust. But why is it that the Bitcoin Trust was the one getting all of the rumors in the FUD? I mean, somebody can fill me in on that because I didn't see any specific report that said like GBTC in particular. I heard Grayscale uh, had perhaps a loan out to Genesis that they're not going to be able to pay back. Um, but why would this be a GBTC problem and not a Ethereum trust or a Zcash trust problem, right? I mean, the amount outstanding on all these other trusts is pretty insignificant. The Bitcoin trust is about 10 and a half billion assets under management. What I'm seeing right here on their website, uh, Ethereum is about three and a half. And all of these other ones are under a billion, uh, pretty much under 
let's see what's the next biggest is sorry about this the next biggest is ethereum classic and that was a barry silbert's huge bag that he had so uh, very interesting but it just seems like fud of course then that rolled through to saying well hey grayscale really doesn't have these bitcoins right they're supposedly held at coinbase but now coinbase who knows? Coinbase might be insolvent. If FTX was insolvent and they used Silvergate, could Coinbase be insolvent and not have um, the GBTC Bitcoin? Why didn't they ask if they have the G the G ETH or whatever they call it for ETH? I think it's ETH E is the ticker E T H E. I mean, why why isn't there this fud around these other things? So that's why I think it is just fud because. There's no reason to think this. Of course, then Coinbase comes out and says, oh, it's fully backed. We have the 635,000 or whatever Bitcoins holding for GBTC. And like I've said in the past, I think Coinbase is a horrible company, <laughs> but I don't think that they're insolvent. Uh, so that is one thing out there that we can hopefully rest our caps on that Coinbase is not insolvent. Uh, GBTC I'm, I mean, I'm 99.9% .9 sure that it is perfectly solvent and there's no funny business going on. I mean, Barry Silbert isn't a crypto bro, right? Barry Silbert is a, hey, what's up spaces? God damn it. I was muted the whole time. <laughs> so I'm back. Uh, if you want to join the Telegram side of the house, you can go to t.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets. I'm human. I make mistakes. So we're talking about the grayscale trust and uh, the contagion going on in the space, if there is contagion. Now, where was I? So grayscale. Oh, boy. I totally lost my place in my rant here. Um, so Coinbase came out and said that they're solvent or GBTC is solvent. They have all their, their, their things. And Barry Silbert is not a uh, crypto bro. Like he didn't just show up in the space at 21 or even how old was Vitalik 19 or 20 when he launched Ethereum, something like that. 21. He didn't just Barry Silbert didn't just show up and launch the Bitcoin trust. Okay. And launch digital currency group. Uh, he was a very successful entrepreneur prior to Bitcoin. He has second market or whatever, where they did a lot of um, set up things for trading of uh, other equities in a secondary market. I mean, he, he's successful of setting up companies, tech companies, high frequency trading type things. Uh, he didn't just come out of the blue and he's used to working within the regulatory regime, being solvent, you know, uh, doing the best practices for, for uh, public companies and all that stuff. So I think it's similar to the Winklevi twins. I think the Winklevi twins, while they're, they're shit coiners and Barry Silbert is as well. I don't think that they are Sam Bankman freed. They're legitimate business. Now talking about Coinbase, um, I don't think Coinbase is insolvent in the way that this story is letting on, right? That they don't have uh, the Bitcoins. Okay. I think they are, might be insolvent or facing some major revenue problems because, you know, their business model is based off promoting and selling shit tokens to people. And when that side of the 
market crashes, what is what is Coinbase going to make its money off of? Of course, there's other sides of Coinbase's business, like the custody stuff. Uh, they bought Zappo, correct? So they have a lot of the Bitcoins in, in the world. They they custody a lot of that. Um, and I think that's probably fairly profitable side of their business, but not the shitcoin side anymore. So they could run into some major revenue issues and maybe go out of business just from our revenue was cut 90% overnight due to this FTX stuff. But that's not going to be, that's not like FTX, where FTX was running a Ponzi scheme. Coinbase is, at least we can say Coinbase is <laughs> probably not a Ponzi scheme. Okay. I think they are fairly solvent. So if there is a problem with Coinbase, it'll just be sold off. Uh, have new owners, and this could turn into a very good thing because for years, going back 2015, probably, maybe 2000, even into 2014, I can't remember, but I've been saying that Coinbase is an enemy of Bitcoin because of Brian Armstrong and his shit token proclivities. So if that is for, if they're forced into some sort of bankruptcy and into some sort of uh, selling, you know, selling off their assets or selling their businesses off, that is going to be good for Bitcoin in the long term. Very good. Very, very good. Because a lot of these big time guys, Brian Armstrong, Barry Silbert, um, Novogratz, a lot of these guys now are being knocked down a peg, right? They're being exposed for just pretty much being Ponzi pumpers. And they've been around for ever the history of bitcoin so if bitcoin can now get some new blood that is more friendly to bitcoin and the ideals of bitcoin and things like that that's going to be extremely good for bitcoin anyway okay so we went uh i write about that on the newsletter then i write about a couple of headlines from china so zero covid you know people were talking just a couple of weeks ago about how zero covid is going to be over I was skeptical, and now it looks like it's not anywhere near being over. They have uh, eased some of the harshest COVID requirements, the zero COVID requirements, and putting it onto the local provinces. You know, the, the local governments now are be, being in charge of the, co the zero COVID rules because I think it's because the CCP doesn't want to be blamed for this, right? The, they don't want the the people in China to rise up against the CCP. They don't care if a provincial government goes under. Actually, they would actually prefer that because, you know, they would knock the powerful local people down a peg and centralize even more power. So that's the latest over there for how they're implementing these things. I've also seen some things where they're saying, like, it's not mandatory now to pass a test to get on public transportation um, and other restrictions within smaller restrictions within their whole, their whole program are being eased, but not overall the COVID zero COVID policy is not being rolled back. And if it were, it would be replaced by another communist program anyway. So it's not like you get rid of zero COVID and you have boom time again, celebrate. China's back. 
No, you will have another draconian communist policy to follow on with that or from that. So uh, China's gone. <laughs> the China we knew from the last two or three decades is over. Here's another story that I include is the China trade exports to the U.S. accelerate their decline down to 12.6% year on year in October. It was 11% year on year in September, and it has accelerated to 12.6% year on year in October. And that is nominal, not volume. It's very hard to find the volume numbers here. I mean, I've just done a few cursory searches throughout the weeks, the last couple of weeks, and there aren't any articles out there that say, hey, what is the volume of trade? They just have it as a nominal dollar value. So the dollar value is decreasing by 12% annualized in October. So if the dollar has strengthened over the last you know, year, then the, not, the actual volume of trade has absolutely been decimated. It's probably down 20%. And this goes into the deglobalization narrative that I like to harp on here. What else do we have? Okay, let's take a look at this Georgia Maloney thing. And I tweeted or I, I posted a tweet from the Huntsman here this morning. And I wanted to talk about this a little bit. So uh, my reaction to this Georgia Maloney viral video that went around, you know, where she's um, demonizing France for their treatment in Burkina Faso about the minors, the childhood labor and that kind of thing. And my first reaction was, holy cow, her, she is an orator. She starts slow. She's like, here, this is matter of fact. She builds up, then she gets a little outraged, and then she gets really outraged, and she builds it up. And by the end, everybody's freaking clapping. It's magical. It really is. She is probably the best orator there is in like the major governments and stuff. She can really get people going. But what she says here, in my opinion, it's almost true. Okay, and the huntsman here, he says, I'm in awe. Georgia Maloney is an absolute assassin. She's also correct here. Okay, the West should be using its enormous economic capacity to help distribute or help destitute, but resource-rich nations become stable and prosperous on their own terms. We must be partners, not patronizing. Okay, but that's, that's a problem. Okay, because Burkina Faso this example that George Maloney uses, it's not poor because it's being exploited by the West. Okay. It has always been poor. It's always been much poorer than today. You know, it's not due to the West exploiting it. There are no navigable rivers in Burkina Faso. It's landlocked. Half the country is being consumed by the Sahara desert. They're uh, clearing a lot of the savanna and light woodland in their country for farmland. So they're destroying their environment. They have just really bad geography. It's a poor place. And it's not because of lack of aid or lack of working with nations to help them out. These places have always been poor. And there's a reason because it's expensive per the return. 
You know, like if I want to invest in, if I'm a large, huge business, I'm going to wrap this into a, a tweet that Matthew Pines had this morning as well. So if there, if I'm a large multinational or um, construction company of some sort where I put in highways in different places around the world, I can have the same input, the same cost to build 100 miles in the United States or 100 mile, miles in Burkina Faso. I'm going to quadruple my money in the United States, but I'm barely going to break even by doing it in Burkina Faso. Not because I'm evil, not because these entrepreneurs or these Western companies are evil, but because it doesn't make business sense. This is a communist argument to say, you know, we need to help these, all countries can be equally as prosperous. All we need to do is not be evil and treat these people better. And they are going to rise up out of poverty and be a great, great economy. No, that's not how it works at all. These places are poor because it's freaking expensive to live there and to build infrastructure and to maintain it. They have no navigable rivers. They have water shortages in the north. They're destroying their environment. And yes, they have some natural resources, but I would, this is the way it was throughout the 20th century in many of these places, that the European influence actually brought stability to these warring places. So these places are fighting amongst themselves. They're fighting over the one resource, these mining resources that bring wealth into the country. Ah, I don't know. I just think that, yeah, she has a point here and she's scoring points and I like her because she's a populist with values, you know, family, country, religion. I'm not a religious person, but I totally appreciate it. I hate who she's fighting against. You know, she, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I hate the global Marxists, the global commies. And by saying that we need to, I mean, she's tiptoeing around this, but this is a communist idea that all the West needs to do is stop being evil and everyone will be equally as prosperous. It's the evil capitalists of the West that have destroyed Africa, guys. Those evil capitalists. I understand that most people want to say, oh, the United States and the Europeans, they were evil with, with colonialism and there's all these injustices that were done. Really, that had, that's not true, okay? If you just look into places where the French were, the, the French colonies, they didn't want the French to leave because they didn't trust the other tribes in their own countries. They would rather have a Frenchman sitting at the head of some agency in their government than their own rival tribe member from their own country. The French were an outside stabilizing force. And they, I mean, look at these other countries in Africa. I mean, Zimbabwe is a long way away, but it, it is an African country that just is destroyed their currency. So these other countries, they are using, they could leave the franc if they wanted to, the African franc, but they stay on the African franc because it provides an outsize, uh, outside stabilizing influence. I mean, I don't know why people think that 
you know, all you need to do is get rid of the evil white man, the evil capitalists, and these countries will all of a sudden boom. But I do, I do like her oratory, and I do like that she's taking it to the globalists there in Davos, Macron, and France. That's this really got me going, at least uh, because of her powerful oratory. So, all right, that's it for that one. Let's see what else do we have. Let's talk about some of the charts. So Bitcoin is obviously looking very, very weak. What do I write about in for the price this week on the report? So it is holding 16,000, all right? Uh, it did dip a little bit below that uh, just in the last 12 hours. But it is holding 16,000 pretty well. And if you take out about, I don't know, from roughly May, from May to today, and you take out 10 days where there's a big red uh, liquidity sell-offs, you know, from Luna and Celsius and then FTX, you take out just a few days and Bitcoin is sideways for this whole time, extremely sideways, probably the longest period of sideways that Bitcoin has ever experienced. And it's only a very small percentage of days that are the big sell-off days. So Bitcoin, in my mind, is very, very stable, even though it is <laughs> looking weak and looking red. Uh, if you take out the big, the biggest crash days, it, it's been stable for six months. What else do I talk about? I mean, the big resistance above the price is still going to hold, you know, be a big impediment to trying to turn around now between 18 and 19,000. There's just a ton of resistance, both from, you know, uh, lines on the chart, moving averages, um, horizontal resistance, volume by price. All of these things are, there's a ton, a ton of resistance, but that also tells me that that's going to be a magnet for price because that's where a lot of liquidity is up there. So, I still think that Bitcoin could perhaps after another sell-off, but it doesn't necessarily need that to go up to 19,000 and see if we can, uh, or between 18 and 19,000 and see what it's like up there. Um, but once we break above 19,000, whether that is by the end of the year or whether that is, uh, you know, in the first quarter of next year, we probably will break back above 19,000. And that is when I think we really will see, some bullish momentum come back to the space. One of the things I, uh, one of the charts I included this week on the report is a dollar chart with Bitcoin. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to put that in Telegram. So let me take this opportunity to have an admin break. So guys joining on Spaces, welcome. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. I've been doing Bitcoin content since 2016. I do this podcast uh, that you can find on all podcast apps as well as FedWatch with Bitcoin Magazine every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. If you want to join the Telegram, it's t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. And you can support me or join my newsletter, whatever, at BitcoinandMarkets.com. All right, so on Telegram there, I just post, posted a chart showing Bitcoin and DXY. So if you go back to, and you know, one of my things that you guys know if you've been listening to my stuff is that I'm expecting the dollar to kind of enter a range to be range bound here for the next year or two. 
It has really torn everybody's face off. But right when people least expected it, when I was starting to see lots of posts on Twitter about, I'm not going to be calling a top in the dollar anytime soon. This could keep going. You know, I was saying, no, we're about to enter a range bound period. And now we have a, you know, big decline with a little bit of a bump here in the last few days, right in the same sort of area that almost mirrors the 2015 range, you know, identically. So anyway, so what I did on this chart was I went back to 2015 to 2017 and the dollar, the DXY at least was range bound in the nineties from 90 to roughly 100 for two or three years. And during that period is when Bitcoin really had the rally ending in December, 2017. Let me check spaces. My phone fell asleep. All right, still going. And if we go back one further than that, back to 2012 to 2013, the dollar was also range bound. This time back in the 80s on the DXY. And what happened to Bitcoin? That's when we had the huge rally that ended with Mt. Gox in December of 2013. So these two big periods of rallies in Bitcoin, the Mt. Gox bubble, and then the 2020 or the, what would that be? 2017 ending in 2017, that big rally, those happened when the dollar was range bound. Now, if the dollars becomes range bound here again, the pattern would fit that we would have a takeoff in the price of Bitcoin. So I hope that makes sense. It makes sense on the, the chart that I put uh, posted there. Um, but I talk about that a little bit more in the newsletter. And what else do we have? That's all I have written up for price. Mining news, man, it, the mining industry is just being decimated right now. Here is a tweet from Charles Edwards. He says, it's a Bitcoin miner bloodbath, most aggressive miner selling in almost seven years now, up 400% in just three weeks. If price doesn't go up soon, we are going to see a lot of Bitcoin miners out of business. I also posted another chart. This is a glass node chart. I found it on Twitter as well. Um, and it's showing Bitcoin miners balance versus the Bitcoin price versus uh, Bitcoin miners sending their coins to exchanges. So there isn't a big bump in Bitcoin going to exchanges from miners, but there is a big sell-off in the miners Bitcoin balance measured in Bitcoin, not in dollars. So where is this Bitcoin going? Who are the miners selling to? It could be that there's some sort of large OTC buyers out there accumulating. And then I have uh, I put in a conspiracy theory onto the end of this. And I say, well, if FTX was a setup, you know, if it was, some people are saying that FTX was designed to explode, to harm Bitcoin, you know, to harm this space and push forward regulation, push, push forward the argument for CBDCs, things like that. Well, if that is the case, then perhaps the attackers, they, they could have easily planned that this would have harmed the price of Bitcoin, and they could be scooping up cheap OTC Bitcoin from the miners. 
So it, it doesn't take a genius to put these this plan together if FTX was a setup. Now, do I believe this? No, I don't. I, I don't know where this Bitcoin is going. It could be going to large buyers, nation states, central banks. It really could be. Uh, it could be going to large businesses. But for right now, we don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But also the big crash in mining or the, I guess, the bloodbath, the quote unquote bloodbath from Bitcoin mining is it ultimately a good thing, right? It's it's a select uh, a selection event, like in an evolutionary sense. It's a selection event by the market and the best miners are going to be selected and, and grow and benefit from this. Uh, also, uh, there's going to be turnover in who owns the miners. So it's going to go to new people that maybe are, you know, they have fresh balance sheets. They, there isn't a lot of debt contagion on these new companies. There are no bailouts in Bitcoin, and that's a good thing. We have this creative destruction that happens on these cycles. And ultimately, though it hurts right now, ultimately, it, it will very much benefit Bitcoin. So, all right, that's it for the newsletter so far. Let's go into Telegram and see if there are is something else I want to talk about. Let's take a look at the oil price. Oh my gosh, guys. Did I call this or what? Did I call this oil price or what? So it is bouncing right now, but it did hit a fresh yearly low. I mean, if the, the year low was set the first trading day of the year, but if uh, other than that, this is a fresh yearly low. It got all the way down to $75 per barrel. There is a big bounce happening right now. I wonder if there was some sort of news event that is spiking this, this making this stuff bounce right now. But I still expect oil to be, again, just like the dollar, I expect oil to be somewhat range bound and over the long term to trend downward. So if you zoom out and you look at quarterly candles on the chart, it's going to trend down over time, like on a decade long basis. But for the next little while here, I think we are we will be range bound probably now since it broke down into the 70s i bet it's going to be range bound between 70 and 90. that would fit and that would fit my thesis of the entire economy so we have some the oil is fitting my thesis the dollar is fitting my thesis china is fitting my thesis uh, there's lots of things out there that are coming together also the the tenure, the interest rates are fitting my thesis. They are falling despite the Fed continuing to raise. So the outcome of this, what I predict, the outcome of this is that, all right, well, Twitter space has crashed. Wonderful. Lord, that, that program, I tell you, it's something shitty. I hate it. <laughs> uh, it hasn't worked the last two days. So anyways, um, so the, the prediction here of where we're going is we're going to back to a post GFC normal. And what does that entail of it, it entails deflationary pressure. I mean, some reflation, but deflationary pressure overall, low growth, low inflation, just like we've had since the great financial crisis up until 2000, right? Uh, up until COVID. But we're just going back to that. 
Now, the the again, still the one thing that is really makes me question this is the yield curves. They are extremely inverted. They are looking very, very bad. It, you know, in terms of a recession. I don't know if like my way of explaining this away is saying that nominal growth was very high in 2021 and into 2022, first half of 2022, 8%, 9% nominal growth. CPI was high as well. And that's why we got, um, we ended up having two consecutive quarters of negative growth, but that wasn't because growth was so low. It was because CPI was so high. Growth was actually extremely high. And if we slow down then from 9%, 8% growth down to six, five, four, it feels like the economy is negative. It's going in reverse. And so that couldn't, that can be shown in these yield curve inversions. Crashing CPI can be shown in these yield curve inversions like this. So that's how I explain it away. And we'll see if that comes to fruition or not. All right. What else do we have here from Telegram? Ethereum. I don't want to talk about that. Oh, Matthew Pines. I didn't I didn't bring him into that Maloney discussion. So you know, Burkina Faso, they aren't being, they aren't poor because they're being exploited by evil capitalists. They are just a poor place to live. That's just the geography. They have no navigable rivers. Their ecology is really bad. Um, they Now they've had a boom in population, yada, yada, yada. So they, there's just a lot of costs and not a lot of benefit for people to invest in that country and to bring it, you know, to bring it to bring it up. There's no way to bring it up. But Matthew Pines here, I'm going to try to tie this into this conversation. So Matthew Pines was tweeting about Qatar and how Qatar has signed a 27-year deal with China to start in like 2023 or something, end of 2023, uh, to supply oil and gas to China. And he was trying to say, at least what I read into his tweet was that it was, he was being negative towards the West. And obviously the West has big problems. Don't let anything that I say here, just because I'm less critical of the West, don't, don't let it be that I'm not critical at all. I think there's obviously tons of problems. The, the worst the worst parties out there in the world right now are the CCP and Davos. They're both Marxist communists. Those are the bad guys. However, the West got ahead, not because of exploitation. And I push back on that every time. All right. Um, so what does Matthew Pine say here? He says, Samantha Dart of Goldman reports EU LNG uh, Customers are still reluctant to sign long-term, greater-than-10-year contracts due to uncertainty over green policies, asking for six-year deals. Problem is, not nearly enough to finance large-scale capital investments that need long payback for ROI. So the ability to have long-term credit is extremely important for infrastructure projects. And I'm tying this in with the Burkina Faso because, you know, they 
they need uh, the ability for these very long-term credit contracts. That's what is going to build them up and stuff, but not that they just don't have their costs are too high. So there's nothing to um, attract that credit there. So what did I write on Telegram? Um, I say, I love the part about financing large projects cannot be done with a six-year deal. That is what I was talking about a week ago or so. That credit was a revolution in human thinking and enabled large infrastructure projects that were impossible with lower credit than before. This is what we will lose to a degree during deglobalization. Less credit means less large societal projects for most people. It's hard to explain, but a tiny marginal shift in expense can drive the whole globalized system into the ground. It is extremely fragile, and our modern concepts of the world depend on it. So um, what I talked about a couple weeks ago was this rise of ghost money was a revolution in credit-based thinking because credit is always ghost money. Credit is an idealized unit of account, right? You can't debase a unit of credit. You can either default or... You don't. It's either worth something or it's worth zero. But $1 is $1 of credit. And so it's an idealized unit. Ghost money is an idealized unit. And when the Bank of Amsterdam and, and these other uh, central banks, you know, in the 17th, 18th century, when they were using these idealized book money, uh, that revolutionized the credit-based thinking. It also stabilized the currencies over the long term because sovereigns couldn't debase this this theoretical unit right like they could coins um the bank of amsterdam kept it at 10.16 grams of silver for their gilder for a, a hundred years so you couldn't like de the sovereigns couldn't debase it the same way uh debasement resistance i think i called it but so that, that enabled long-term thinking, right? Because your dollars or your, your money is stable. And it, it is an idealized unit that is on the books that you get in, like it's a concept. And it starts, you start thinking in a different way. Society starts thinking and planning differently. I mean, this led to, you know, the Dutch East India Company and all of that stuff that was a revolution right stocks stocks uh stocks that are also just kind of on the books i mean you probably had stock certificates at the beginning but stocks as an idea they could be traded for these um abstracted currency units right um, that were stable over time you wouldn't want to have a stock market based on a coin that the sovereign could debase by 50% at their whim so these types of things weren't possible before. When everything started going to book money, you started thinking in credit and you know, being able to build these long, large infrastructure societal projects. Civil, new modern civilization came from thinking in a credit-based way or an idealized abstract currency unit way, a fixed currency unit. Well, here, what I'm saying about this China and Qatar thing, and about the six year, you know, they can't, they can't finance any projects off six years because they need at least 10 years to finish a project. 
So that you can see how reducing that time frame makes it so no new projects can be made. And now what happens with globalization that's built off of long-term contracts like this, they go under. I mean, they can't sustain themselves. Oh, okay. So that's enough with that. That's all I'm going to do for today, guys. I'm going to open up the mic here for a few minutes. If you guys have any topics you want to bring up, any comments you want to make, call me an evil capitalist that doesn't believe in Burkina Faso to run their own business. <laughs> Not seeing any hands. Well, I will also share a link to some stuff that I found on Burkina Faso this morning where I got the thing with no navigable rivers. They do have one river that is partially navigable for part of the year for small boats, quote, small boats. You can't have any barges, big barges and stuff on these rivers in Burkina Faso. They, they just, there's no um, economic vitality. There's no source of economic vitality. So anyway, let's do another check for hands. That's it. Well, I hope you guys have a good start to the week. Enjoy the rest of your day. This will be coming out later on podcast apps. Um, and as soon as I figure out spaces, we will continue going with that. No hands. All right. Well, that's going to do it. Thanks, guys. See you on the next one.